Hey, Scott. Yes, sir. Do you think the beginning of our show is getting stale? Coming to you almost live from the Alley of the Damned, this is the Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. Joining us in the studio this evening, or whatever time you happen to be listening to the show, is the Edmonton Journal's online editor, Karen Unland. Thanks for joining us, Karen. Nice to be here. I sort of ran the first question I wanted to ask Karen past her first, because it's it's uh, it's all loaded and whatnot. <laughs> <clears throat> And she said I could ask it, so I'm going to. Uh, Karen, just how screwed are newspapers? Oh, well, that's why I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Will you hire me? Uh, No. Um, Newspapers, as in paper, probably don't have a long future, but newsroom, like the kind of journalism that newspapers do, I think is not screwed. I think we got to find a way to keep it going because there's a big audience. There's a bigger audience for it than ever before. There's a revolution going on in communication that's changing the way that we tell the news. Uh, there's a wave that we got to ride to try to figure out how to keep doing our job um, with the revolutionary changes that are happening. Um, but people want it. People need it. Democracy needs it. So we'll figure it out. Doing it for democracy. I like that answer. Um, Keeps us honest. It does. Although democracy's broken too. We need the internet to find a solution to that as well. There you go, internet. That's your homework for this weekend. (laughs) Find a way to fix democracy. Well, there's a whole bunch of people in Red Deer doing that right now. That's true. That'll be over by the time people hear this. Unfortunately, and we didn't get a chance to cover it, except on our website, which is new and beautiful and, uh, and kind of, you know... Something that we, as new media, thought we should get into uh, to, you know, supplement what we're doing. So I think that that's a nice little segue into, you know, having that online presence and and then newspapers. I don't know if it's a struggle, but working to adapt uh, an older business model that doesn't really seem to work as well, uh, given, you know, the direction subscriptions are going in and, you know, the fact that people like to read stuff online. So what are you guys doing at the Edmonton Journal, aside from, you know, publishing a newspaper online to try and really engage that online audience? Well, what we do on our website, edmontonjournal.com, is is to try to take advantage of what that medium can do that newsprint can't do. So we focus on breaking news, multimedia, interactivity. Um, You can't do that easily on paper. So that's where we try to put our... um, our efforts so partly because that's what you can do and it makes our journalism better and makes our um it, it enhances our work and partly because we don't want to cannibalize the newspaper either if all the website's point is is to put the newspaper out there then we're just putting the newspaper out there to read for free and that's you know all the stuff is there but that's not the point of our website so that's part of what we're doing um we're <laughs> Because of that revolution I was talking about, we're straddling two things. We still have um, a big audience of people who want to get their news on newsprint. Surprising as that is, I know it's not you. <laughs> it's my mom, right, um, and my grandma. Um, but so we have this big audience of people who really like newspapers. They they like it, getting their news that way. They like getting their TV listings that way. They like the crossword. I know Scott likes the crossword, too. Um, I sure do. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, they, they like the paper for all kinds of reasons, and God bless them because they pay for it and they deliver their eyeballs to the advertisers who still give us lots of money. There's all this whole other audience that is never going to buy a newspaper and does not want to get its news that way. And we have to serve those people as well. So that's what the, the website is, is for. And we've just scratched the surface for what we can do to reach those people. Does that result in a spreading thin of resources if you're trying to... It's You're fighting a battle on two fronts, really. And, and uh, you know, down the road a few years from now, that's going to mean... Uh, fewer printed newspapers, more online. But right now, is that a huge struggle for newspapers to try and do the online thing, you know, with a limited budget, managing resources, and then go and move on to that uh, or continue to do the newspaper thing? Like, how how tough is that on the bottom line? Um, Well, it's a challenge because at the same time, we have fewer reporters than we've ever had um, because of completely different things that are happening in our business. so it's harder, but lots of stuff is hard, right? So you just deal. That's kind of my attitude is that we still have the biggest newsroom in Edmonton. We can still cover way more things. We can still dig up way more stuff than anybody else can because we have more people and we have more experience in our newsroom. And so we publish on two platforms and some people have to to change the way they work and file during the day instead of everybody filing at 530 it's just different. I think that newspapers do have to realize that we're never going to have more people working for us. We're probably going to have less eventually. Um, we're never going to have more. So do we curl up and die? No. <laughs> our job is too important. So we pick our spots. Maybe we don't cover as much as we used to, but we cover the important stuff. So uh, there's a lot of talk about, and and actually on an episode where we invoked the name Edmonton Journal an awful lot, we talked about hyperlocal coverage. Uh, is there, is that something that would become the sole focus of of you know city newspapers, while they pull the rest of their content off the wire for like national and and international issues? Is that where you see it going, or are we still going to have, um, call, let's call them media outlets because I don't know that newspaper really, you know does it justice mm-hmm. but are we are, are publications media outlets like the journal going to keep sending journalists to important events be they national or international or is that just completely out of consideration now given the amount of coverage that you can get anyway yeah i think that that's been waning for a long time we used to have a guy in ottawa we haven't had that guy in ottawa for years um the internet makes it unnecessary to have to do everything yourself. You don't need the Edmonton Journal to tell you about Tiger Woods smashing into a fire hydrant. You know that. You knew that on Twitter before anybody else told you that. And that's not our job. We can tell people about Edmonton and Northern Alberta. That's our gig. That's what we're the experts in. That's what we're going to bother doing, us and and the other media in Edmonton. Uh, And nobody else is going to, so we better. Um, So I do think that that local is... It's not only a good business decision, it's a good journalism decision because that's what we can do yeah. best. Yeah, and it's it's your level, your area of expertise, say. Yeah, you're it's all our based niche. Here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about, um, you know, technology specifically as it relates to 
newspapers new moving online because I know that you're having to adapt from the printing press to you know dedicated servers and all that kind of thing. But um, we actually had a listener send us a question asking us if the way you present the news and the content that you present is limited by, for example, the content management system that the Edmonton Journal uses. Does that shape your coverage? And if so, you know what does that mean for journalism? Is that that to me that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. I, I think that, um, yeah, the, the medium affects the message, for sure. Do I understand the back end well enough to be able to say, well, if we didn't have this, we could do this? Not really. Like, yeah. I'm not a computer person. Um, I do think that there are tons of smart people out there who are delivering, inventing things and delivering information in faster and better ways than anything that we can build in-house. And if it was up to me, which it totally isn't, um, <laughs> this whole company, I'm talking about CanWest Global or whatever it turns into in the future, um, would outsource that a lot more. Like there's to take advantage of all the smart people that are out there to figure out how to deliver things best would be great. So yeah, to be frank, my hands are tied a little bit in taking advantage of the best technological tools for delivering the news. Mm -hmm. There's a lot we can do within the parameters that we have. Um, there's a lot that we should be doing um, that I hope we just have to keep pushing for in yeah. the future. Now, do you think that uh, at the moment the internet is being used uh, as effectively as it could to deliver the news? Or do you feel that it's more... Um, do you feel that the that newspapers are still driving the internet content, or do you feel that the shift is really starting to move more toward the internet providing the leading the way, leading the charge, as it were, towards what news is being covered in in the newspaper? I don't know how much the internet says about the way that news is covered published in the newspaper because I'm not sure. That newspapers are as aware of what's going on in the internet as they ought to be. Um, I was thinking about this on the way over here that oh, if I'm an early adopter, that's like a really bad sign for our place because I'm like so conservative when it comes to new technology. But um, you, when you can see the potential of telling a whole bunch of people what they're, about their, their community, telling people uh, s stuff in new ways to taking advantage of databases and mapping and all the kinds of things that the internet allows us to do news-wise. How can we resist it? We resist it because we're scared or because we're not technological people or we don't understand it or it's not what we've ever done before. Um, I mean, I can't see the internet doing anything but good things for journalism once we adapt. Um, we have to adapt faster. I uh, hope among your tens of listeners there's not a ton of people, or maybe I do hope there's a ton of people who work at the journal there, but um, the <laughs> there's If they a, don't, you have to tell them about the I show. know. Well, I will. Um, the, there's a lot of adapting that we have to do. I think we have to do it faster. We, can, uh, we have a little bit of an advantage in that we can watch what's going on in the United States when it comes to newspapers. They're, they're like five years ahead of us on the um, apocalypse. And <laughs> maybe we can they're stop They're always it. ahead of us. <laughs> they got Count Chocula down there before they got it here. I remember that really affected me as a kid. What and as an adult, look at this. 
You know what I miss? Booberry. <laughs> Whatever happened to Booberry? I think uh, I think it uh, was co-opted by a pornography company, and the URL <laughs> was stolen. Now it's just booberry.com. Well, see, the internet's bad for cereal then in that case, but. But good for newspapers. I think it's good for newspapers once newspapers get used to it. I think you're right. You know, I think that uh, you guys you guys know canoe.ca. It's the well, for for those of you who don't know, it's the Sun Publishing Company's online home. Yeah. And five years ago, Canoe was great. It was awesome, and it was the, you know uh, they they were out of the gates early, and I think. You know, we were talking earlier about why doesn't the journal show up on Google News? Why isn't Google News pulling the journal? Uh, part of that might have to do with the way your everything's set up, but I suspect the reason that the Sun is up there so much is because of Canoe.ca. It's you know, it's been around for a long time. It's well known. The problem is that it was implemented and left alone. Yeah. And it's the same. It works the same way it did five years ago, and that absolutely cannot happen with newspapers. If you guys are going to jump on board the internet train. You need, frankly, contractors or in-house IT people who are on the cutting edge to keep updating you and upgrading you and making sure that, you know, you're not just leading the charge when it comes to delivering the news in terms of having great writers and telling great stories, but the actual technology must be able to deliver the news in a better way. So, so again, there's a war on two fronts. You're, you want to be the first with the story. You want to be the most balanced and the most accurate. And then on the other front, you want to have the best method of delivery, be that an online content management system, be that video content or, or uh, podcast. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. <laughs> but honestly, because I, like, I mean, this is something that Scott and I have talked about because we're we we started this as a, as a joke and uh, 13 episodes in. Uh, it's still kind of a joke, but a legitimate one, uh, and, and one that's been going on, one of those jokes that never stops. A running joke. So, a running joke, and so much so that we've developed uh, a website, which was part of the dream, and we plan to expand it to different kinds of media uh, you know, to use to, in order to reach our audience. And, and uh, I think that's the future for everybody. It's the future yeah. for CNN. It's the future for the Edmonton Journal. It's the future for our friends at theedmontonian.com. <laughs> Can I bring it back to why the internet is good for newspapers? Please do. <laughs> okay. Well, the other thing that's great in Edmonton is this this uh, group, this community of tech-savvy, civically engaged, um, articulate people who are interested in Edmonton. And I would count Unknown Studio among those. I think she's talking about us. I am. Um, you know, and Mac Mail and the Edmontonians and all of Edmontonian, and all these people that are so interested in Edmonton, so want to make Edmonton a place they want to live, like Carrie Williams said last podcast, so want to um, help democracy work better, help the city work better, help um, support local food, all of these things that these people are doing. And if and, And I get to read it. And listen to it because the internet makes it easier, and so it's it's fantastic opportunity to learn more about people in our city who really care about what we're doing and who link to our stories and discuss our stories and and read our news, uh, not for the TV Times, but because they're interested in journalism. So that's what um, gives me hope. Um, and the other thing is that it, through Twitter and 
um, Facebook and, and other social media, we get to talk to our audience a lot more than we ever did before. Uh, you know, a letter to the editor that you submit and hope to see in the paper at some point has nothing on, um, you know, telling me on Twitter that the pop-up ad, pop ad is driving you crazy. Okay, I'm really sorry about that. Last, <laughs> I, should, I should explain because uh, I was at the Edmonton Journal. I was at edmontonjournal.com. Uh, you know, a few days before we recorded this episode, looking at, I can't even remember what the story was, but, uh, oh, you know what? It might've been the, uh, no, it wasn't the Dan Barnes story. Anyways, some story on the Edmonton Journal that was linked from the Edmontonian.com. So this is where you get this lovely little marriage of, of, of hyperlinks. I can't believe I just said hyperlinks. That's so web 1.0. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> but I, I got uh, frustrated with the with EdmontonJournal.com because uh, I think, do you guys, is it a Flash pop-up or is it a JavaScript pop-up? I don't even know okay. the difference. But <laughs> so this thing pops up and it's like, you know, uh, Edmonton Euler Community Foundation Lottery, uh, today's the last day, X amount of hours left. So one thing, I remember the ad, it did its job, but then it stayed there and wouldn't leave when I when I went close. And uh, and so I blew a bit of a spaz like a juvenile child and 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 ranted at the at Edmonton Journal on Twitter and was just like, your pop ups suck and I can't read anything. And Karen was like, settle down, <laughs> settle down. Tell me the problem. What browser are you using? What OS are you using? And I was just like, yeah, I'm sorry for being a douchebag. No, I don't think you were being a douchebag. Oh, well, I, I felt like I came across that way because they just frustrate me so much. Yeah. Well, and we get a lot of that. And. Um, you know, we're working with our advertising department to to try to make sure that we're not alienating more readers than we're delivering to the advertisers, and they understand all that. And it, it's only really rarely that we sell local pop pop ups. Um, but what I liked about that was instead of you not coming to the site anymore or telling all your friends never go to EdmontonJournal.com because they're covered in pop ups, um, you you said you expressed your frustration and then i could find out well okay obviously this ad is not being is not set for firefox and safari which happens unfortunately yeah, yeah, <laughs> Fair I know. and and then we can just ask ad ops to not deliver it to those to firefox and safari browsers or, or whatever so it's a it's a small problem that's solvable and I love that we could solve it in like in about an hour yeah. instead of alienating a whole bunch of people because you know that you're not the only one who is driven insane by the fact that you couldn't close the stupid app, right? Well, apparently I now have a reputation for this among the Twitter community because uh, um, Ari Gaylor, who's, who's Miss Pixie Riot on, on Twitter, said something like, oh, you're annoyed with a pop-up? We had no idea. <laughs> and I was just like, damn it, I'm that guy. I'm the guy who goes to the party. Is just like the kids need their internet these days, and their pop-up advertising and ruining the online experience. But I, I really floors me that advertisers still use pop-ups. Yeah, I, I think it's by and large almost always unacceptable to do that. I really do. I really feel that strongly about it. Why are you laughing? At me? Because it's a funny way to word that. <laughs> that it is just it is unacceptable. <laughs> To have pop-up ads. Well, you know why they continue to have pop-up ads? Why? Because they're effective. They get your attention. Yeah, and, okay, and the one that got your attention, you remembered what it was. You yeah. know, you know, uh, and and I do remember what it was, and there's and that's why I didn't buy a lottery ticket for the 
winner's choice lottery. That's what it was. There you go. Yeah. See, so brand impressioning, perfect. I won't buy a ticket, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm broke. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. It was it was just because of the pop up. That I will I will agree with you that they're obnoxious, but they would not continue to use an advertising uh, method that was not working in some capacity. Just because it doesn't work on you doesn't mean it doesn't work on other people. Yeah, but I just can't imagine a human being. Say, I just want to talk about it. So yeah. I have to get it off my chest. I can't imagine a human being, you know, seeing a pop up and and being like, oh, this is awesome. This is exactly this is wonderful. I'm so glad it's here and click on it. I don't I don't believe people like that exist. But you know what? People probably said that about television commercials they interrupting did. their show oh, back totally. in the day. And now it's just part of what we deal with. I, I, I can't. And you know what? I think television commercials are just as unacceptable. If I'm watching Fringe, I don't want to, you know, have to wait two minutes to get back into the story. <sighs> I wish, I wish it would just stop. Well, TV's still having that problem, right? I mean, they're actually... I mean, the, the Edmonton Journal still makes money. There's lots of TV stations that don't make money, and, and that whole business model is broken, too. Even more than, than the print model for news? Well, not the, the newspaper model, whatever you want to call it. That, that's suffering less than TV? Yeah. That, I find that surprising. Uh, in a related note, how are magazines doing? Magazines, similar print media to a newspaper. Uh, not as frequent as a newspaper, obviously. Is that business model also being threatened by kind of the way things are changing? Well, there, a lot of newspaper or a lot of magazines have died this year, right? True enough. Um, but there's others that are still going. There's others that are going straight online. I mean, I think it depends on um, if you are develop if you are delivering an aesthetic experience that people prefer, right? I mean, a magazine is a is a read. It's a, it's a curl up in a chair, um, or 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 sit in bed before or whatever. It's a it's a it's an, it's a pleasant experience, and for a lot of people, a screen doesn't deliver that. So that's kind of what a magazine does, and you can I mean the ads in a lot of magazines are as enjoyable to their readers I think as as the print. For those I don't read. Like, Depends on how sexy your ads yeah, are. It is, but I mean, many are, right? <laughs> Very true. much so. Um, so, so magazines, some magazines are going to do well regardless. It depends on whether they're delivering what they can't, what you can't get elsewhere. And I think that a, a lot of advertising in magazines is, mm, you know, it's easier to to target a demographic for with a certain magazine. Like if you take if you buy an ad in the Walrus. By and large, you know exactly the kind of person who's reading the magazine. So it's easy to tailor your message or pick the medium, as it were. With newspapers, though, you guys do have such a diversity of readers. And it's not, and you know, I mean, I still occasionally pick up an Edmonton journal. The reason I don't right now is because it's just not worth paying for it, like for me, uh, when I can get it for free at a Tim Hortons or something and just sit down and read it or check it online because it's just more convenient for me. So, but then, so you still have this widespread of people. Uh, and it's harder to target your message with a display ad in the newspaper than in a magazine, in my opinion. Now, I've heard that a lot of newspapers are beginning to look at a model of uh, selling their online content as well, right. that you would have to sign up for either the entire thing online. If you want to read the Edmonton Journal, you have to sign up and you have to pay a certain amount, and then you get the journal material online, or having premium content where you can get most of your local news, just as is, but if you want to read the columns 
and get a lot of the bonus content, as it were, you have to sign up for that. Is that something, I don't know if you can say if that's something the Edmonton Journal is necessarily looking towards, but is that something that you think is kind of the direction that the the industry is going to go? Well, Rupert Murdoch's trying to do that right now. And uh, speaking personally, I think it's suicidal. I think that the horse is out of the barn over the hill and far away on charging for news online. And it, it's, it's just, it's lunacy. And it, it's actually um, distracting from what we actually have to figure out here. Um, people just aren't, aren't going to pay for news online. Um, we have to figure something else out. And there's lots of smart guys in the in in, in journalism schools and um, and think tanks who are thinking about that. And and I think that there's even room for us to think of just local solutions to that ourselves. Um, it it's probably something that's like way beyond what we're used to doing and delivering apps and you know. Something with mobile is what um, Steve Buttry is a he's a journalism guru, guru and he wrote an interesting post that went all around Twitter uh, last week um, saying that newspapers have missed boat after boat after boat. The last boat is mobile. So if we don't get on that boat and have a strategy and figure out how to monetize that, then we kind of deserve to die because we've had so many chances. And I, I agree with him that, that the, the technology keeps giving us a chance to break out of our shell and, and figure something out. It's, it's beyond me what the solution is. It's beyond, beyond lots of smart people what the solution is. But I think that that's where it has to go. Now, obviously, there's a lot of smart people who work in in journalism, who work in newspapers, why, why have they missed all these boats? Obviously, you can see that the technology is coming. Why would you hold off and be tentative? Is it just, is it uh, a resistance to change? Is it a concern about jumping on a new technology and then it goes all Betamax on you and disappears? <laughs> like, what is what is the reason why uh, the journalism industry is so? hesitant to take that next step when everybody else around them is just leaping into it? Um, I think there's a few things. I think part of it is for a really long time, it was really easy to make a lot of money just doing what we were doing. And and it masked a lot of problems. It's, it's um, having a newspaper for much of the 20th century was a license to print money. And so we didn't have to think about making it better because we were making so much anyway and we could afford uh, to do whatever we wanted, basically. Nobody remembers it that way, but in retrospect, that's that, that's what was going on. So that's part of it. Um, I think part of it is just technology has changed so fast that um, not everybody is going to jump, be comfortable jumping on board immediately. Um, we have very baby boomer heavy newsrooms just everywhere has <laughs> baby boomers all over the place. Um, they're used to doing things the way they always have done. And it's so it's a bit of a, it, it, it's a little bit um, hard for them to keep changing. Um, probably the best, uh, the best analysis of this was done by, that I've seen is by John Templeman. 
he was uh, he, he was the last editor of the Rocky Mountain News in Denver, and he wrote this this tragic post about how this happened in, in Denver and with the Rocky Mountain News and all the all the starts and stops that they did when it came to the internet and how they you know they started putting the news out there in like early early days and then they stopped <laughs> and then they then they um, tried this other thing and then you know it wasn't paying off immediately so they stopped and uh, that that's universal and so we had a lot of starts and stops and uh, it hurt us I think that's a, a critical thing to note is that is that some people have made a pile of money on the internet uh, but not us unfortunately not yet not yet, not yet. Yeah. I have a I have an empty sack with a dollar sign on it that I plan to fill up soon Scott with someone else's money <laughs> but uh, I think that the too many people want to make a pile of money really fast. And when they, you know, they try something different online or they move something totally online and it doesn't work perfectly right away, then, you know, you said newspapers had a license to print money before. Well, it's going to take a while to sort out exactly what the right model is, you know, because because I don't think people are going to pay micropayments. I don't think they're going to, I mean, I already skip an article if I click on it in Google News and I'm met with a paywall. I know I can find that content somewhere else might even be better Mm -hmm. so why would i pay i don't know what the answer is i do think that advertising has something to do with it and that that whole market itself is changing the way that that uh, advertising online takes place and co-promotions and contests and e-marketing and newsletter delivery all that stuff is changing as quickly as things are changing for newspapers the difference is they're already operating within the infrastructure that will allow them to make the money yeah the the tough thing is that newspapers have to, you know, move online if they haven't already, and or and figure out that secret sauce for them that that really engages the community. and And I think that publications like the Edmonton Journal are you guys are onto something. Yeah, I mean, you've got so many columnists online tweeting, and they're not just tweeting about what they just wrote about; they're actually engaging with the community. Um, Paula Simons went to Calgary a few weeks ago when this is recorded Mm -hmm. Uh, and she met actually she gave a talk at the UFC and then wound up meeting a whole bunch of people on Twitter for coffee afterwards yeah that's awesome it's it's the it's the that's what Twitter does it's the localization of of you know once lofty you know pseudo celebrities these are people you read in the newspaper they have opinions and knowledge and they know how to and a fancy head box a fancy head box <laughs> this this stuff matters you know but i mean i've met i've met countless members of the media over the past year alone just because of twitter and they're, they're normal people doing a job and struggling to figure out how what they're doing fits into everything and how what the businesses they work for are are going to do to help them continue to work so um you know, kudos to, to publications like the Journal that are, are really, you guys seem to be really engaging and listening to people online and trying to adjust what you're doing. How much are you hobbled by the mother company? Uh, can can is that this question... the part of the show where you try to get me fired? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we had a part of the show. And now for our new segment, Getting Our Guests Fired. <laughs> We'd be really good at it. <laughs> you can talk about it. Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, here's what I can say about the mother company because it's everywhere anyway. Um, Canwest Global took on a whole lot of debt 
and then the bottom fell out of the economy and it's affecting all of us so um i don't know anything about business it's not for me to say what a bunch of dunderheads um it is what it is and so we're affected by that in in that we can't spend a whole bunch of money but we can't do anything about that so it it doesn't really uh, i i set it aside Mm -hmm. we have a set of circumstances here at the Edmonton Journal that we just have to deal with and keep doing what we're doing and keep doing it better like we have no choice but to keep doing but to keep trying to do journalism better um so I mean any big corporation is a little bit like a really big boat that you're trying to to steer away from the iceberg and it takes a lot of work to change it and it's frustrating sometimes um but a big organization has a brand name and and built in i mean people know what the edmonton journal is and they trust us and they um and and we're not just some random people we're this institution serves us well and serves us poorly sometimes um, so, I mean, that's what the, the corporate structure does. It makes, sometimes makes change harder to affect. Um, but there's so much that we can do locally anyway, regardless of all that. And just getting back to what you were saying before, Twitter is such a gift because it gets us out from behind our walls. Um, and get and we get to talk to readers directly and we get to hear fr- and, and respond to them and also just show that we're not that big um, monster called mainstream media, but actually just normal people who have kids and and um, are just as ticked off about the potholes as anybody else and 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 want our, our city to work better and and aren't just you know leeches and ambulance chasers and all the bad stereotypes that uh, that surround reporters and editors. And so to, just to, to be human is good. It also is the source of some of the reluctance, I think, among people in newsrooms to adapt to, to new technology and, and social media because we are inherently shy people. Um, print reporters more than anybody else, we, I, I find, are introverted people and, and just they, they don't want to be the story they want to find out what the story is and talk to other people so there's a bit of a cultural um, a, a bit of a cultural impediment to putting yourself out there but Twitter kind of makes it easier anyway on that note we're going to take a short break and when we come back we'll have more with Karen Unland the lights the shopping the parties and excitement some people hunger for the Christmas spirit Some people just hunger. This year, help the Christmas Bureau provide a festive meal to over 60,000 less fortunate Edmontonians, including families, seniors, and singles. Make a tax-deductible donation, become a private hamper sponsor, or organize a fundraiser. Call 421-XMAS or visit christmasbureau.ca. Donate at ATB Financial, Commerce Place, or any City of Edmonton fire hall. And thank you. You were asking, you were talking about uh, print reporters being more introverted, mm-hmm. usually, and not wanting to become the center of the story. 
And I'm I'm thinking in my head, you know, there's there's this this talk about always being unbiased, which I don't think is possible. Call me a postmodernist, but I just don't I don't see how that's you, everyone's invested in something. Now the strive for balance that makes a hell of a lot more sense to me. Um, but it also it's kind of neat to see the news delivered in a way that's totally obviously biased and completely deliberately unbalanced. To wit, the Colbert Report. Uh, the Daily Show, and I don't, I don't think that that something like the Journal could ever move toward doing something like that. Not right away, anyways. Would, boy, that would be revolutionary. Yeah. Wouldn't it? <laughs> but but do you see room for that even in you know? I mean, we see it in opinion pages to some degree, but but I don't see the problem with reporters being like, yeah, you know what? Some terrorists, uh, you know, did something terrible in Sri Lanka. Boy, isn't that terrible that they did that (laughs) and by the way here's what happened yeah you know the the humanizing of news i think is part of what helps draw the community in and and that doesn't necessarily mean writing your stories that way but it does mean getting your reporters some face time with their readers be it through twitter or whatever i think part of it is that it also brings the reporter into the community and that I mean, that makes that makes people feel more comfortable with the person they're getting their news from, to know that, yes, this is not just affecting me, this is also affecting the person who's telling me about it. And they're clearly concerned about it. They think it's an important issue, and that makes me more inclined to think that it's an important issue. And I think that's, I think that's an important element to it, frankly. I agree, and, and I think that... Uh, I'll let Karen speak in a moment. <laughs> I think that... Uh, I think that's something that TV has, has failed at. Uh, television news reporters... You know, they stand in front of the scenes of horrific crimes and and put on the they're do, they're doing their jobs. They're very serious, but you know, there's a there's but they're a, not part of it. They're standing in front of and it, and it's so weird. And I think, and that's obviously why you go to the people who are involved in the incident and, and interview them. But but then there's always these, the, the the picture in my head of the the um, thoughtless, emotionless reporter who goes in and tries to talk to someone just after their whole family's died. You know, yeah. And and, and as long as we're seeing journalists, reporters, people of the media being involved and engaged, but also then providing us with that reporting. To me, that's a higher quality of the way the news is delivered. You can't just pass the message along without emotion, even if you're getting your emotion from subjects of the story. I mean, it's nice when I see people like Linda Steele saying, you know, I can't believe it. There is this awful murder and God, it's just ghastly and awful. And we'll tell you all about it on our news broadcast and you can get some of the details here now um that's nice that's nice to see that people care that reporters do think this is i know you guys think this stuff's awful but it's so wonderful for you to say it and not pretend that you're you know being the 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 staunch professional pretend that you're above it basically you know it's nice to see you in the trenches and being affected by it i think there's a pendulum shift Always, I think in in the 19th century, newspapers were completely biased, and they were paid for by political parties, and the stories were were columns, opinion pieces. This newspaper looks yellow. Yes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so then so then there's a shift, and and we're you know unbiased. We're, we're just being objective and we're telling you this guy said this, this guy said that, you decide. And the pendulum is sh- shifting, is swinging the other way now because um, what 
more and more people are feeling is that the real value here is transparency, not objectivity, because objectivity is, is impossible. So just tell us where you're coming from and tell us what you got to say, and we'll figure out what, what to, uh, how to interpret that is what a lot of audience members are saying. Mm -hmm. I would say that's a generational thing. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that we get a lot of people who even write letters to the editor about our columnists that say, that's just your opinion. Um, <laughs> At the top of the page, it says opinion. <laughs> opinion yeah. I know. It's yeah. strange that after, you know, oh, I don't know, a couple centuries of newspapers that people still don't get the <laughs> A little bit, yeah. But I, I think the future of news is for us to, to just go completely with transparencies. You know where we're coming from. This is how I vote. This is how I think. This is, you know, where I am on the socioeconomic scale, even if that's what you need to know. Um, but I'm going to be fair. I'm not going to, you know, only tell you the facts that support my point of view and um and and dare to take an opinion dare dare to take a position rather yeah. on something it's difficult in mass market media to do that because you risk alienating a lot of people and um maybe a gift of a dwindling audience is that we don't have to care about that anymore <laughs> i don't know but um well consider our approach right we can say whatever we want and do and do really we have nothing to lose. Yeah. Okay. You guys have everything to lose yeah. and continue to lose it, you know, not through any fault of your own. It's the way the world's changing. But I think I think that newspapers moving online and whatnot, new media outlets are going to get to the point where they don't have anything to lose either. And that's where the what's the expression? The wheat will come out with the chaff. I, anyways, some <laughs> ridiculous old timey <laughs> phrase that uh, my dad would know if he was here. Um but that's when I think we're going to see the real competition uh, and we're going to see more publications leave the stage because people, they're not resonating with people. Yeah. It's something we're seeing in political movements now. People aren't interested in party lines anymore. They want to examine every side of the issue and take a position on an issue-by-issue -issue basis. At least that's the way I operate, the way some of our guests that we've had have operated. And, uh, and I see no reason why the news can't be different. Now, uh, you mentioned that... The United States tends to be five years ahead when it comes to newspapers. And Count Chocula. And Count, Count Chocula. Chocula. Yeah. Um, and uh, what, what we were just talking about there uh, kind of brought something to mind. Um, is this kind of uh, pendulum swing, swing towards yes. uh, more subjective journalism being driven a little bit by the success of organizations in the States like, say, Fox? who basically at this point are just wearing their bias on their sleeve, right. but still generate tons of money. Like they're, they're making money hand over fist. They've got uh, great ratings. I suppose money hand over fist is a relative when it comes to journalism at the moment, but yeah. uh, they've got great ratings. They've got a strong following. Is, is that because they seem to have a successful business model, I suppose you could say, is that partly driving the shift here in Canada, do you think? I don't know, because cable news is a whole kind of a different kettle of fish. Um, it, it's really interesting to read Jay Rosen at New York University about this, because what he says about cable news is the one that he's really mad at is CNN, because CNN is still pro pre pretending to do 
objective news when they're not. Um, from And this is from, I mean, we in Canada watch CNN and go, oh my God, right? But down there, that's a, uh, that that's what Jay Rosen calls the news from nowhere, trying to just say this, these are just the facts and having, you know, fake balance of somebody on one side of an issue and somebody on the other side of the issue, even though the other side of the issue is completely lunatic, right? Mm-hmm. Um to be fair, Fox does the same thing. Well, they do, except Fox just goes at it from one point of view, from the right hand, of right, from the right side of the spectrum, and MSNBC does it from the left-hand side. Um, I think what makes that kind of difficult to uh, apply up here is a lot of cable news is talking heads. It's not really journalism. It's people talking about stuff. Um, it's people standing in storms and being blown <laughs> to the side. Um, I mean, the really, as you were saying before, Adam, the really valuable um, news that's going on right now is being done by John Stewart and Stephen Colbert. And it's, they're, they're getting closer to the truth than a lot of so-called mainstream traditional um, journalists. And that probably is a little bit the future. It's, again, a very generational thing, though. My mom is not going to get it. And so, um, do we wait till um, you guys are old and 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 you and your kids are all indoctrinated into this way of seeing the news? I don't know, um, but that's so. That's what I would say about cable news. So Karen Unland is going on record saying that we are entering the age of ironic satirical news broadcasting. <laughs> I I think it's really the only way to go, especially for a pop a population of people who are you know, steeped in sarcasm and, and cynicism. It, it's a way that, that I think really resonates with people. It's not just American either, right? This hour is 22 minutes gets there too. And Rick Mercer takes a point of view and he goes on his rant and, he's, and he points out how stupid something is. And it's a way of people getting information about something. He also has, you know, he loves the military. You're not going to get uh, any questioning of the Afghan mission from 22 minutes. But it's, they're doing it too. It's not the only way to get news, I think. You know, somebody has to dig up the information to start with. I think that's what outlets like the Edmonton Journal are more for. But um, I hope that the trend is more towards the kind of smart um, calling of BS that those satirical guys do than trying to keep doing more of the same. Yeah, agreed. The thing that I was thinking of that I wanted to mention was uh, the fear that I have that organizations like the CBC they've changed the way the nationals done from an aesthetic point of view they have their they have Peter Mansbridge standing up which probably isn't so great for the knees all the time poor poor, poor Mansbridge <laughs> but um, they have they have opted to change their formula based on in my opinion largely aesthetic copying a style of news delivery that has been particularly effective for American stations and and uh, you know it's more high energy. It's more flash. It's, dudes, it's more Wolf Blitzer. It's yeah. It's dudes standing up. Like they're standing up. You guys like pay attention. People <laughs> are standing. <laughs> you know like, and uh, it's to me that that I mean that seems like the plot of a film. Like the CBC's solution to declining viewership is to get Peter Mansbridge to stand up. I know. I know how we'll fix this. Get rid of the f- chair. Like. <laughs> Really, CBC? You know, you're you're a you're a federal institution. That's all you could come up with. I, I you know, 
God, I, I saw that and it just my hopes were dashed for the future of, of I'm not even kidding. I know it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but like I, people like you, Karen, see that there is a, a problem. And I think that more people than not see that there's a problem. The, the way that things are done are shifting. But the the other mother corp has opted to hire consultants from the United States. And their their document, the executive summary, said get people to stand up. Like, you got to be kidding me. So, so. Well, and it's, and this is indicative of any business. Uh, and, and it's true as much with media as it is with uh, if you worked at uh, at an IT company. It's it's all about appearance. It's about looking good, whether or not your business is in trouble. And it's much easier to make yourself look like you're doing well and for people to believe, therefore, that you are doing well than it is to actually fix the problems. So getting Mansbridge out of his chair and having him stand up is a much better solution than actually going in and seeing what, what the substance of the problem and, is and probably a cheaper solution absolutely absolutely um, and in it's the it's the sad truth with business in general not just with the media but it never works scott it's it, you know they try these little stop gaps and it never works because audiences are smarter mm -hmm. they're more engaged they're smarter we they see past crap like that like what's what's changed okay there there are fewer facts and the anchor's standing up i'm sorry i can't get over it <laughs> he's standing up <laughs> You know, like who cares? I, I think I think people see through that. It's it's garbage. It's uh, it's misguided and it's 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 you know suits making decisions. Maybe they don't have business making. You know, not invoking the opinions of people who are actually on the front lines, interacting with citizens, uh, interview subjects, writing the news. Not to say Mansbridge doesn't write some of his own stuff. I imagine he does, but he's a talking head, right? Yeah. Um. It's it's just not effective, and and I think it's you know it's almost like a like a death rattle for <laughs> for news. It's just like Mansbridge stood up, <laughs> and that was basically the end. And it was the, the that whole, was the beginning of the end. The television news infrastructure, as we knew it, collapsed when Mansbridge got out of his chair. It was the first sign. Yes. Yeah. Part of that though could have just been overselling a small change, right? We all redesign every once in a while just to look different. If, if nobody redesigned their websites, then it would all look like 1999. And the company I work for during the day would be out of business. Yeah, there you also, go. Also, you should check out our new website, theunknownstudio.ca. It's super good. Um, so what should have just been a redesign maybe got sold as check out the new national better than ever when it just looks different. And, and when it's you the gotta, same old national with a new coat of paint. <laughs> but you still got to paint, right? You just shouldn't make it seem like it's it's a, a big deal. You do. <laughs> yeah. We repainted. No big deal. Mansbridge, here's your chair back. <laughs> now can we get back to delivering the news the way Canadians want it delivered? <laughs> I, I can't disagree. I mean, I find TV news um, hard to watch because... It takes a really long time to tell me what I want to know. And mostly I know that stuff already because I'm online all the time. But it's not for me, right? Mm -hmm. It's for, again, my mom, the yeah. demographic that I call normal people. And they're straddling the generations just as much. Yeah, I've, uh, I've seen uh, Master Mac on Twitter, Mac Mail, often uh, when, when TV news reporters were starting to get online. Mm -hmm. They would say, oh, you know... Uh, 
a jewelry store was robbed today and, and someone was shot. We'll have all the details for you at 5 o'clock and Mac would reply and say, well, or you can just click this link and read the whole story. <laughs> just like, guys like that are ruining news. <laughs> just kidding, Mac. I don't think you're ruining news at all. But, you know, like, it, no, and so, so there's obviously a learning better. curve there, right, for yeah. for everybody. Yeah. But, uh but I just think there, the sometimes the attention isn't focused in the right place. And like you said, maybe the CBC was oversold on the value of changing the the look and feel of the news rather than I don't know shifting resources to to making the news more engaging or or whatever. I mean, do you guys find that the best? I find the best television journalism is when the anchor is anchoring something important that's happening an election a moon landing and they get emotional again mm-hmm. there's that thing where you're like holy shit i'm watching a human being this could be interesting yeah. and uh and uh I, we i mean i keep coming back to it because i i'm an emotional dude i cried at forrest gump <laughs> oh god and was... and star trek i, I cried <laughs> because it was so beautiful <laughs> beauty makes me cry uh, where was I going with this? Emotion on the news is fine. Uh, striving for balance is important. Getting all sides of the stories is great. Pretending you're not biased. You aren't fooling anybody. And I think it's great when people wear their biases on their sleeves. And and I read a lot of uh, uh, conservative blogs now because a lot of people that I know and like are, are progressive conservatives. But... but these labels don't really apply anymore, and it's the same with the news, I think. It's changing so much, I it's, don't even know what to call it. It's okay to it's okay to wear your bias on your sleeve, as you put it. I think that a journalist's job has to be to serve the reader, not to serve the journalist, right? So, so um, if I go into reporting a story thinking I know the story already, I won't do a good job, and I won't serve the reader well. So it is true that I am a human being that goes into that story with values and and experiences that shape how I'm going to do it. But it's my responsibility to go into it in an open-minded way so that I'm not deciding ahead of time what the story is. So I'm, I'm finding to the best of my ability what the actual story is or what a story is and telling people that. I think that's the, the diff- that, that's what journalism is that's what the difference between journalism and um polemicism or some of the other things that are out there that some people see as equivalent to what we're doing and it's part of what makes um that that makes journalists um uncomfortable with the new media atmosphere that's going on right now because there's lots of people out there who are um demagogues instead of journalists or um are polemicists instead of journalists and we don't want to be seen as the same thing i think that there's a lot of room for all kinds of people out there and that there are bloggers in edmonton who are doing journalism as well or better sometimes than we are i'm glad karen's on the show that's what i get paid to do (laughs) (laughs) what separates uh that's what separates the pros at the journal from you and me, Adam. I guess we're just podcasters slash bloggers. But I wouldn't say just, right? That's the thing. And that and and if journalists who get paid to be journalists have that arrogance about we're we're better than you, um, that's going to sink us as fast as anything else. But that, I think that's also a defense mechanism, in large part. It's 
it's scary when you know it seems like uh bloggers are sort of invading your turf Mm -hmm. it it just i can understand the reaction but uh but i think that you know some some more savvy uh people and media outlets are starting to embrace it and uh, i think a great example uh, as you were talking i thought of trisha dett Mm -hmm. from the edmonton journal She's the uh, legislative reporter, yeah, and she also blogs. Yeah, and it's very clear from the way that she writes on her blog what her position politically is. But when she writes a story, um, in spite of the fact that I know what her bias, or I think I know what her biases are, um, it always comes across as detailed, full of information, and you know she's not writing the, those particular pieces to take a position. I think it's good for news outlets to embrace the the. You know, the journalist as as fact reporter and and uh, gleaner of insight on the one hand and human being with their own valuable opinions that should be shared with everybody. I mean, at least that way we know where everyone's coming from. True enough. All right. On that note, I think it's time to pull out the Fast 15. Now, Karen is a listener of our show. In fact, the reason that Karen is on the Unknown Studio is because she wanted to be. Usually, we have to drag people on here kicking and screaming. Uh, I have a a large store of, uh, well, we'll say drugs that I use on people (laughs) to knock them out and bring them into the studio. Usually, they're unwilling participants, but not you, Karen. No, I begged. You did? Yes. It didn't take much begging. You were like... I listened to you guys, and we were like, you're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> you don't listen to us. But. So uh, having said all that, Karen uh, studied for the fact. Because <laughs> I'm a nerd. Because she's a nerd like like us, and she you know, she wanted to, uh, to be prepared. So, so this might very well be the fastest Fast 15 ever, then. Ooh, the fastest 15. Uh, don't put that pressure on With Karen on. Unland, online editor of the Edmonton Journal. Are you ready, Karen? Yeah, but there's going to be ums and ahs. I'm just going to warn you. That's okay. Your favorite food? Uh, Blueberries. Your favorite color? Purple. Mac, PC, or Linux? I'm just really not comfortable with computers at all anyway, (laughs) not Linux. (laughs) You can also pick Abacus. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Dogs or cats? Cats, I guess. Your first vehicle? I've never had my own car. Um, the first car that I owned with my husband was a Hyundai Elantra, but nice. I'm just not a driver. Uh, your favorite holiday? Christmas. Favorite sport? Football. Favorite pastime? Reading. Favorite music right now? Uh, I just like Leonard Cohen, always. <laughs> always and <forever. laughs> Yeah. Uh, your favorite movie? Uh, Princess Bride. Weird. I was trying to think of questions to ask you, wildcard questions, and one of them related to the Princess Bride. You'll be disappointed to know that I'm not going to ask you that. I am very disappointed to know that. But interesting that you would answer that way. Uh, The movie that you hate, but everyone else seems to love. Uh, Blade Runner. Well, that's an interesting answer. Uh, One movie that you get made fun of for loving. I, that this is the stumper because like people don't really make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> they know better. That's right. There's another side of Karen we haven't seen it's today. True. I, it's been a long time since I saw any movies that weren't animated because I have small children. Of but uh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's a pass. Yeah, I have to pass that one. Okay. Um, your proudest moment. 
I think aside from being a guest on the Unknown yeah, Studio, well, yeah, um, yeah, even better than this <laughs> uh, is probably uh, giving birth twice. Yeah. You have two kids. Yeah, right on. Say hi to them. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, John. I'm sure that they're listeners. I hope not, because you were swearing, so I'm oh, not going to let them listen. <laughs> Damn. When they are old enough to listen, <laughs> that's right. they will get the message then. Do you have Fair the enough. server space to keep this around for another 10 years? Unlimited. Okay. So, on to our wild card questions. Who is your favorite Batman and why? Is it Adam West, Michael Keaton, George Clooney, Val Kilmer, Christian Bale, or Kevin Conroy from the animated series? Uh, I, I bailed on Batman after Keaton, so <sighs> I know. You know what? I would have, too. But then it <laughs> came back in a good way. Um, so, but I, I think uh, I, I like the Keach of Adam West, so I'll go with him. Adam West, Batman. Not a bad choice. I wish that uh, this was a video podcast because we'd enter like, pow, <laughs> zap. <laughs> and you know what? There's, there's a good movie that people should rightfully make fun of you for liking. Batman the movie. There you go. What? Absolutely. The Michael Keaton Batman? <laughs> no, that's Batman. Batman the movie was the Adam West Batman movie. I don't know if I ever saw the whole thing. And it's probably for the best you did. <laughs> sounds, sounds unwatched. Fine. And now your final wide, wild card question for quite possibly the fastest 15 ever. If you had to choose to go to only one Edmonton festival, but you could go every year for the rest of your life, no other festivals ever, which would you choose? No, that's a hard one. I know. I know. I came up one. with that one, everybody. Yeah. You know, I haven't, uh, I, I do love the folk festival. I haven't gone for a long time because just it's, you have to be so organized to get tickets to go to the folk <laughs> fest and I just can't manage that. But I do love the folk festival. I probably would choose that. Fantastic. What would yours be, Scott? Festival, Edmonton. Pure spec, wouldn't it? Would be I'd have to. I'd have to go with Pure Spec. Yeah, it would. You didn't ask me any Star Trek questions. I thought I would have some. This would be the <laughs> third episode in, in a row. row. I mentioned Star Trek. You did, yeah. I didn't. Uh, okay, this is one for the road because I need to redeem myself. <laughs> Star Trek is a love of mine, uh, and and I need to ask Karen this question: Who is the best uh, um, non-human character? in any of the Star Trek series? In your, or who is your favorite non-human character? I gotta go with Spock, because I am Spock, so. <laughs> yes, uh, her ears are pointy. It's true. Scott, what about you, man? Oh, you put me on the spot, and there's a lot of really good inhuman characters in Star Trek. <laughs> inhuman. I mean, like, you know, the, the ones that were part of the cast, like the the, the ensemble cast, not, not guests, but, you know, Tuvok, Spock, Data, uh, Neelix. <laughs> Garrick I'd consider Garrick part of the ensemble cast for Deep Space Nine he was awesome I will accept that the villainous sometimes Cardassian on Deep Space Nine that's it for the Fast 15 thank you Karen oh it's my pleasure so um, what do we got lined up next our next episode is the Christmas episode and Scott and I have decided that as a gift to our listeners It'll just be him and I in the studio talking about Christmas traditions, decorating the tree, exchanging gifts. And Scott and I will be asking each other the Fast 15 next episode. So it'll be very special. Sounds exciting. And we'll be doing that one from Santa's workshop all the way up in the North Pole. That also sounds exciting. It is. Thanks Karen? once again, Karen. Thank you. Can't wait till next week. <laughs> 
You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 13. Our guest, Karen Unland, our topic newspapers, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. Thank you.